Welcome back. Because of time constraints, I have to limit the amount of time each episode is. So when I get a great episode like this one, I have to put it into two parts. So please enjoy the second part. Thank you. You were trying to do the schoolhouse thing. Yeah, I was trying to do the training, trying to train. And it was hard to, uh, to train people to do something you like to do. I and mean, you know you'll never do it again. Yeah. And uh, especially some of them, I want to just... <laughs> just wanted to kind of hold them underwater until the bubble stopped, you know. It's just, yeah. But yeah, I, I just went to the commander, and him and I were were uh, we were pretty close, you know, Colonel Madden and me. So I went and talked to him, and he was like, "That's fine," you know. So uh, he he understood it, and he was like, "Well, we'll just what do you want to do?" So I I don't know, you know. I got this other background. He's well, we'll move you into that. So I'm there, I'm staff sergeant, getting trained by airmen on how to work on a plane. <laughs> so, what was the first aircraft? Uh, I moved right into the, the 130 gunships. Oh, the 130s? Yeah, the 130 uh, H&U gunships. Mm-hmm. So I moved into those, and then we had the uh, 53 Pavlos helicopters. Yeah. I was always in them, never worked on them. <laughs> you were uh, doing fuel cells for that, or fuel uh, systems? Fuel systems and general maintenance, yeah. you know, uh, uh, anything. Uh, we did some hydraulics and stuff like that, too. So you were in the flight line shop? Yeah, for the last year and a half of my, my, you know, my career. Yeah. Yeah, and I know the C-130s, I, I kind of like those, but they're uncomfortable as shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the 53s, they're, uh, they're big helicopter. They're huge. Yeah, and uh, three engines, APU, all that stuff, and oh, yeah. all that shit gets complicated. It gets it gets pretty pretty crazy, and yeah. then, then uh, they dumped the uh, the Osprey on us right at the end. That was probably the last six months I was in. They they dumped that in there, and that was like the biggest piece of shit. Is it <laughs> biggest waste of time? It was like, good job. What the hell were they thinking? A lot of electronics in that. A lot of electronics, but then there's, they they made it overcomplicated. Yeah. But then at the same time, they made it undercomplicated. Like they had this, they had this deal in the center of the the sponsons, you know, the sponsons are the big side tanks. Yeah. When they would, it was basically looked like a funnel, but on top of it, it looked like saran wrap or a, you know, regular tin foil. Yeah. It looked like that on top of it. And it said all over it, do not touch. I mean, it was fragile like tinfoil. And it was a overpressurization valve. And it was just a straight tube that went down. So when they would air refuel these things, they would overpressurize it and it would blow that aluminum plate. Yeah. And it would just dump all the fuel out oh. that was above it. So it was like midway through the tank. They did it every time they flew. So it was like... <laughs> You think somebody could have come up with a better idea? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some kind of vent, <laughs> vent valve that would you know catch the overpressurization or something. But no, they 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 went with regular Reynolds wrap and put it on a funnel, and that, that'll do it. So you have to replace that all every time they come back. Every to time they flew, they we would have to replace that, and we didn't have the parts because it's brand new. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you know the pain of where are my parts at? Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't really give a shit. I was getting out. Sergeant Myers, what the fuck's going on? I don't. Don't ask me. I don't know why you're asking me. 
I'm, I'm filling out my paperwork right now, and I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> and so you get out of the military, and did you try doing anything else in the civilian life? or? Yeah, when, when I got out, I had a friend of mine, they said the, the dairy, uh, he had a dairy supply business. Yeah. They did dairy supplies, and they did uh, uh, damn... Uh, remodels. They did construction, new constructions, things like that. So on he, dairy farms. Yeah. Okay. So he had asked me. I was before I joined the military. I went to school to be a welder, and uh, him and I actually grew up together and and uh, things like that. So he uh, told me, "Hey man, I'll pay you twenty dollars under the table, twenty dollars cash money. Um, be my welder." Yeah. Like, All right, I can do that. So he paid me, and then. Uh, it's all I did pretty much for probably about six months, something like that. And then I had a uh, friend of mine, his wife worked out at the base, and she asked me, hey, you ever think about going out there? And, and I never really thought about it. And she gave me, uh, she well, just give me your resume. She took it down to 122. And uh, that they kind of looked at my resume like, there's nothing we can do with this guy. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not, a, he's not a flight line guy. You know, so they kicked it over to the depot, and I got a call like, "Hey, you want a job?" I'm like, yeah, sure, man. Check it out. You know, being that my kids are young and things like that, I needed something with benefits. You know, I was gonna make a little less money. So you were married in the military? I was married, and then basically shortly after I got out, I got divorced. <laughs> I was done with that shit. She was a yeah, different person, but. uh yeah. She was a different person because you were around more often? I, I think mainly when I was in the military, I volunteered to leave to get away from her. You know, so it was, it was more along the lines of her and I were never, never should have happened. Yeah. You know, but being young and stupid, it did. You know, her end of things, she was, uh, she was raised in more of a hostile setting as far as family goes I guess <laughs> you know a lot of yelling screaming fighting and it was like that's almost how they communicated they, yeah. they, that's that was their daily communication and my house was very quiet <laughs> <laughs> so as, as after we were married and that type of st- stuff started happening around our house it was kind of like yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm good with this I, I don't want to live my life this way and you had how many kids with her two so we had two sons and then uh we ended up divorcing uh, after I got out, but then when I was at the base, uh, you know, it was I was making less money, but being that I lived so far away, it was like it is now. You know, gas at that time was like five, six fucking dollars a gallon. So oh yeah, I had an aunt and uncle living in Hanford there, and they they had like a kind of a little ranch house, and they had a uh, they they had told me that I could stay with them during the week and stay out there all I wanted. Yeah, you know, so I didn't have to worry about this, these gas prices and stuff like that. But then, you know, of course, child support got a hold of me. Oof. So, uh, you know, there was days that I was that I okay, well, I can't eat today, but I can eat tomorrow, and then I'd basically just save my money up to where I could, uh, whenever I got my boys, I could get them something good to eat and things like that. We can hang out and do something fun. Then I was broke all over again and. And then I'd have to sit there and wait until I got paid and schedule out how I could uh, how I could eat and things like that, you know. But for the most part, I was basically homeless, and 
didn't really my my pride got in the way of looking for help and I didn't that's just one of the things though is that uh there was back then there wasn't a lot of help for dads no the you know they mainly concentrated on keeping the kids with the mothers and no matter what the situation was and they they uh no matter yeah you know dads suffered a lot oh yeah even the, I mean, I could understand the bad dads, but the good dads trying to do something for the kids, right? Oh yeah, yeah. that was that was kind of what was funny was whenever I was filling out the paperwork, um, going through court, and it's a big pack of papers, you know. Whenever you're filling it out, and it's like the first couple pages, I was doing them and I was looking at it, and I asked the the attorney there, like, what do you, what do I put on, you know, do I add all this stuff up? He's like, the rest of that, don't even worry about filling out. Why? He was like, well, that's all your shit, all your expenses, your rent, utilities, blah, 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 whatever. I said, well, I need to put all that stuff in. He's like, they don't give a shit. No. They don't care. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> Those first two pages, what you make and what your insurance is, all that stuff, that's the only thing they care about. The rest of it, they don't. Yeah. I was like, well, that kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it does suck. Now, I've been seeing a lot more lately about uh, trying to help out the dads that are trying to do something. Oh, yeah. Which is good, but... So you get out, you get a job with, uh, what was it, FRC? It was FRC at the time. It was uh, L3 Communications. Oh, so you were a contractor? I was a contractor originally, yeah. Yeah. How'd you like that? I liked it. I mean, it was it was fun. You know, the company was shit. Uh, the pay was shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back then, before, you know, when I started, there was no union there. There was no... When when you hired on, they told you you made eighteen sixty nine an hour, and that and that's was it. it. There was no promotions, there was no pay raises, no nothing. Yeah. And uh, then you know, I got placed with probably the most two amazing guys to work with out there, old Master Lou and you know Big Al. And uh, we started. They started training me on what to do on on the F eighteen legacies and, and the Super Hornets and stuff. So when you started with L three, uh, you started on legacies. It was both. It was both? Yeah, it was both airframes. So um, pretty much just jumped in and started working with them too, laughing and having a good time and things like that. And and then uh, uh, I think it was like two or three years later, it switched hands from L3 to uh, Aerotech. Mm -hmm. And that they were an amazing company. They, were they took care of the people. They took great care of the, of, of the people, but that time we had the union. The union had already started coming in. Yeah, uh, they the union came in. I think probably the last year L three was there, and uh, so <laughs> the, the guys running the union they were, well, we're going to talk to these Aerotech guys and we're going to tell them what this is what we want and blah blah blah. And I was just sitting there looking at them like, well, you guys are stupid. And well, what do you mean? I said they could come in and offer you five times the amount of shit that you're asking for right now, and you you're just gonna jump on them with whatever you want to throw at them right now. You know, why don't you listen to what they have to say first? <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh no, no, that's what we want. I was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know? But uh, no, Aerotech came in and they were a great company. I enjoyed working for them. Um, around the time uh, my son had gotten sick, and. Uh, you know, I'm freaking the hell out because I can't do anything. Yeah. You know, I can't do anything to help him. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's little. And uh, Did you old, have insurance? I had insurance. I did. And uh, so I take him to Quia Delta here, and they have to do that whole deal of he's got to drink this five gallons of shit in less oh. than an hour, and we've got to... Flush his system out. 
No, it was that dye. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, so they could put him on a scan and see what was going on. At the time, he was like seven, and uh, they said he had to have emergency surgery to have his appendix removed. You know, oh, and this is like midnight, and uh, so they call the the surgeon. He's like, yeah, you know, and then he finds out that it's a seven year old. He's like, I ain't touching that kid. <laughs> you know, and I'm thankful, <laughs> thankful that he said that. <laughs> you know, but at the time, I'm just losing my mind. Like, I've got to get him. I got to get him better, you know, like he, I'm thinking in my head, my kid's going to die here, you know, and I'm losing it. Yeah. And I'm getting, you know, that whole Iraq and Afghanistan mentality start running back through me. Like somebody better do something before I start doing something to other people, Yeah, <laughs> you know? And there was a doctor came and said, Hey, we got a hold of Valley Children's and we're going to send them out there. Where's Valley Children's at? That's in Fresno. In Fresno. Yeah. Okay. So they're going to send them out there. And they were going to put him in an ambulance. And I said, well, fuck you are. <laughs> you know, I'm going to put him in my truck and we're leaving. And uh, they were like, well, it's a liability thing. I said, you're not going to scare him. He's going to get in my truck and we're going to go. <laughs> you know? So they, they, Valley Children's released them, said that, yeah, because they told me people won't take their kids. That's why they won't, won't release them that way. Which the, the doctor there was like, no, I, this, I think this guy's really going to bring his kid there. <laughs> <laughs> so we got there and. I'm like losing my mind, you know, things like that. So uh, my son was cool. Like he was uh, the only thing he didn't want. He didn't want the IV put in. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm trying to explain to him without crying that, oh, they're just going to go in with a little little camera and they're going to do this and that and everything else. So he was fine with it. And I'm sitting there getting ready to lose it, you know, crying and shit. So uh, he ends up going, you know, everything was good with the surgery and stuff like that. And he woke up and of course there's tubes and you know wires everywhere and he's looking at me like dad like what what is all this stuff you know and i told him well they kind of they kind of fucked up in the middle of the surgery so uh they they had to turn you into a transformer (laughs) he's looking at me like what (laughs) i'm a transformer now (laughs) he's all drugged out of his mind so he thinks like oh this is crazy (laughs) you know yeah as you see this over here it's hydraulic (laughs) exactly So it was it was funny, but then uh, but yeah. So then after uh, after that, you know, got home, got him home and stuff. It was a couple of days later. They finally got him home. Uh, Aerotech sent get well baskets for my son, all kinds of stuff. That I was never charged a dime, and his surgery was like like forty fifty something thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, I wasn't charged copays or nothing, and they took the time to send that. That hoping he's getting better and. Everything else, you know, and it's like, man, that's that's pretty cool, you know. You don't see huge companies like that no. doing that for people, so yeah. you got a lot of respect for them for that. Yeah, I just uh, when I was, uh, I had to deal with something similar with my youngest son, and they short story. He, um, my in laws brought him to me, and he was catatonic, mm. like, like he had just taken meth or something, or not meth, but like just some fucking something that made him just real blank stare fucking just staring off into space and stuff like that so we just took him to the hospital and we waited there to about four o'clock in the morning where they shipped him to uh over to uh we were in victorville at the time and they took him in an ambulance over to uh orange county chalk out there orange county children's hospital mm-hmm. and they uh well, i had to follow the ambulance and i had been up all night Right, and so uh, when we first got him there, fucking team of doctors just swarmed him, got him everything they needed, and just kind of reassured us and stuff like that. But after the whole thing was said and done for, they explained to us that they 
they have a lot of uh, people that donate to those types of hospitals, especially for children. Yeah. And they take care of everybody. And, yeah. You know, they don't, they don't, uh, you know, they don't, uh, what am I trying to say? They don't uh, deny anybody any kind of services because right. they're children and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was fucking relieved. That that feeling, you know, you're you're worried about your son dying all night long. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> yeah. You get this where he's going to be okay, you know, he's going to live a normal life or whatever. It's just a big relief. Yeah, it yeah. is. I mean, and I think the the worst part about it is is, is uh, you can't, you're helpless. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, you, you don't know what to do. No. You know, you know that you're panicking inside. You're trying not to for your kids. But then you get to the hospital and... Nobody else is panicking either. No. And you're ready to kill somebody because they're not. (laughs) Something's wrong with my kid here. Fix it and fix it right fucking now. (laughs) Yeah. Or we're going to have a problem. Yeah. You know, so that was kind of like the issue when, uh, you know, Shannon with the the, the spider thing. (laughs) I was ready to kill everybody. (laughs) So tell the story about the spider. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, she was... uh, she was, well, being where we're at, you know, we were out in the middle of nowhere here in the country. And uh, she was six months pregnant. And uh, um, she had woke me up. It was, it was like a Sunday. And said she, she thought she had gotten bit by something. And originally what it was was, like, I think she had put, like, uh, pajama pants on or something. And she was asleep and felt something on her leg and she thought it was like maybe a leaf or something that gotten on the inside inside of her pajama pants to reach down and grab something but then she started feeling weird you know body started feeling funny so she woke me up "Eh, i'm gonna get in the bath something's wrong i think something bit me but i don't know what it was i'm like okay but i i didn't really think anything at first and then i got up like what the hell are you talking about like hey where where'd you throw whatever you thought you had and uh, she's all over there by the by the door. I was like, oh, okay. So I go in the bedroom and I look down. And it's a big ass black widow. Oh, I'm like, um, we got to get you out of the bath, and we got to get you to the hospital. Yeah, she because she was talking about, ah, oh, man, I just getting body cramps everywhere and all this stuff, and kind of feeling some chest pains and stuff. And I I was trying to be calm, just told her like, hey, we gotta let's get you up and you know let's just go to the hospital just in case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing damn well she got bit by a black widow, but she's like, wow, what's wrong? Oh, nothing's wrong. We just let's just let's just take you down there, you know, make sure everything's all right. So we get in the in the in the truck and we're probably I don't know anywhere we're we might have made it five minutes down the road to where she's like, I can't breathe. And she's panicking. And I'm like, you're fine. Just keep focusing on breathing. And I look down, and I'm doing like 120 down the damn road, you know. I go flying up to the emergency room, and it's kind of like a little horseshoe drive thing. I drove right up to the door, <laughs> jumped out, told them what's going on and all this stuff. They put her in this little uh, chair, little like, kind of looked like a wheelchair, but wouldn't. And they, oh, okay. Oh, well, she's pregnant. She's got to go upstairs. I'm like, oh, you motherfuckers. (laughs) So we go upstairs, and they ask, okay, well, when's your due date? Oh, it's this day. And they're, oh, okay, well, you're not six months. You're five months and, you know, basically a day short of being six months. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 
And they were like, you got to go back downstairs. So we go back downstairs, and I'm already ready to kill everybody. And I got these stupid fucking doctors telling them, oh, it's this, and we'll give her some Benadryl. I'm like, what the fuck is that going to do? <laughs> Nothing. You know, she's in pain. We were there for hours, and then uh, finally I was like, you know what, the hell with this. And I picked her up and started taking stuff off. And they were like, you can't take her. I was like, who's going to stop me? And they were like, mm, nobody. nobody. <laughs> I was like, then get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> so I left, brought her home, and then um, was kind of like, let's go, let's go to Fresno. You know, we went to Fresno, the trauma center. And we get her there, and I walk up, and I'm talking to the lady. And I think that was the first time she realized that she got bit by a black widow <laughs> because I'm talking to the lady. And she's and I, listening to you. And I told her she was bit by a black widow and all this stuff. And she was like, oh, shit. And uh, so she's now getting worried, you know, and she's still, like, doubled over in pain and shit. And this doctor comes over, and he's like, are you sure it was a black widow? I was like, I've been farming here my whole fucking life. I know what a black widow looks like. And he was like, okay, like, I believe you, you know, and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden there was, a, like, two teams of doctors. There was one monitoring the baby, one monitoring her, and she was just, like, they were drugging her the hell out. Yeah. You know. And so for, for uh, was it two days, two and a half days after that, they kept her in there. She was muscle spasming and, you know, just feel helpless as shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, what the fuck? And I'm sleeping in a chair in a damn hallway, you know, for, for two damn days watching people come in bullet wounds and stuff. Like, where was he hit? Like, I remember what that felt like. That don't feel good. That one, <laughs> that don't feel that one good hurts. at all. <laughs> that one got you in the leg, bro. Right there, too. <laughs> Just hoping missed your dick. <laughs> but, yeah, that was, uh, that was scary as shit just because even though, you know, it was, it's a spider bite, you know, and they asked me there, like, hey, they didn't give her the antivenom and we had Delta, did they? No. So, no, they didn't. Why? And they said, well, nobody's ever died from a Black Widow bite, but they've died from the antivenom. Oh. <laughs> I was like, no shit. <laughs> they, yeah. They said, but but they've never updated it since like the 50s, you know? Like nobody's ever died, so they just say to hell with it. You're going to you're gonna have to live through it. But she was having muscle spasms and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, it started like, uh, like from her head to toe, just muscles were contracting and, and she couldn't move oh. it was it was crazy so they were giving her like all kinds of drugs and and uh i'd ask the doctor about it just like what about the baby and they like, oh the baby's fine yeah the baby's on baby's on her own right now so yeah. and it's funny now because uh you know our uh, my old my my boys are still looking at their sister right now waiting for her like superpowers to kick in <laughs> <laughs> i wonder what super it's gonna kick in someday it's, it's you know someday so they they always kind of refer to her as jack jack from the incredibles oh I guess. yeah right <laughs> yeah they're gonna walk in see her running up the wall or something one day <laughs> <laughs> lasers coming out of yeah, her eyes yeah. or something <laughs> so yeah yeah she got bit by a spider so she's gonna have a superpower one way or another she's gonna have a spidey sense mm -hmm. yeah yeah Woman's intuition, I guess. Uh, Hell yeah. Whatever. Yeah, so uh, when did you start doing uh, government time? I was there at the, the end of my time at Lemoore uh, originally, around, 2000, around 2011. Was, uh, uh, Aerotech was in play there, but work had gotten slow. Yeah. And uh, I, I had gotten accepted to pick up a federal position in Japan. And uh, 
there was there was a guy, well, you know, when we work out with, he had, hey, why don't you come out here? And he's like, yeah, everybody's getting ready to get laid off anyway. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. Know? And it would give me a good good way to break into the government side of the house so I can roll over my military time, things like that, uh, work for more of a secure situation, long-run type of work instead of contract jumping and never knowing if you're going to have a job tomorrow. So I jumped on that opportunity, and literally, like, everybody was laid off, like, a month later. <laughs> or, like, right, no, they, they laid them off just as I was leaving. Oh. So <laughs> it was like... Right in the nick of time, too. Were you already married to Shannon? No. No? No. Oh. No, I, and that was a, that was like a, a rough thing for me, Move, like moving to Japan. Now I'm going to be, now I'm going to be leaving my kids again. Yeah. You know, so it was hard for me to explain to them, hey, dad's going to be gone for three years, you know, and they understood, you know, and I told them, I said, I don't want to go. I'm doing this for you. Yeah. You know, and uh, being the person that my you know, my ex was, you know, she, of course, said a lot of bullshit, you know, terrible shit to, yeah. uh, to my boys about me. Um, but luckily, you know, they never really listened to any of that shit. So I've, I've always told them this is all, everything I'm doing is for you in the long run, you know. And they, they're now being older. Um, you know, they, they believed me then, but now they're starting to see all the stuff I was talking about back then. Now it's all starting to come. Fruition. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and now it makes sense to them. Like, yeah. It sucked you weren't there, but now we can really see why you weren't there. You know, so all the perks and benefits that are starting to come in there, in their direction now, they're kind of like, oh, okay, we get it. You know? Yeah. And I don't know how they didn't turn into little pieces of shit, just like a lot of, you know, military brats and things like that. I mean, there's military brats that aren't, but a good majority of them are. <laughs> there's a lot of spoiled kids out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know. The military brat kids seem to get into a lot of trouble, you know. So, so they haven't uh, they haven't been arrested, gotten into drugs or anything like that. So no. I can't I can't really complain. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They're not surfing on cars naked or anything yet either. So <laughs> Logan might be the one that gets me on that. <laughs> and so you spend uh, you jump over to the contractor side and you go to Japan, mm-hmm. and you still learning about the fuel systems, right? No, at this time I was, uh, I had about four years experience on okay. the aircraft, so this I was pretty proficient by that time. And you jumped on with uh, Dave, and yep. and he was knowledgeable. Oh yeah, Dave yeah. was another one of the, the main guys that trained me when I got out there. So yeah. it was, uh, you know, Dave. Dave's one of those guys that, you know, he, especially in a fuel system. I mean, he knows the whole aircraft, but especially in a fuel system, can break it down and, you know kind of troubleshooting his head yeah what the fuck's going on you know? yeah so got out there with him and and there was a couple other good good uh, uh mechs out there with us that really good guys you know the whole the whole group of people out there that i was with was was pretty amazing yeah really good dudes now did you uh did you travel at all when you were out there like go oh, see any of the foreign lands or just... oh yeah that's all our job was yeah so when we were there we didn't have a hangar or anything like that. We had little cubicles and stuff like that. So we would just come into work and they, hey, we got this situation on this ship or in this country or whatever, and you got to go. You know, generally, you would you would have a little bit of time, you know, maybe the rest of that day to get all your shit together, but everybody just kind of kept all their shit packed and ready to go at any time. Yeah. So we would take off, you know, um, 
anything bad go down in a different country, hey, you got to go take care of this and you got to take care of that. And so we did, you know, and it, but it was, it was fun. But then three years into it, you're just looking at your suitcase in a damn empty hotel room like, <laughs> fuck this, man. Like, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, trying to do that for that amount of time is kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah. Did you ever, like, go sightseeing anywhere? Oh, yeah. Seeing any of the countries? Yeah. we. I mean, we went to, you know, of course, different places in the Middle East. You know, Bahrain, Dubai, you know, shit like that. And there was there's a lot of cool stuff there to go see. Um, I love Guam. Guam was my, Guam is awesome. That was my my favorite. Yeah, people there we would call it with the poor man's Hawaii. <laughs> but the uh, the people there, you know, people are awesome. Yes, you know things like that is just. Uh, we had this guy that was he was drunk in a bar, and he was kind of annoying my buddy my buddy Luis, and uh, this local dude comes up and he's like, oh, don't pay any attention to him. You know, he's he's just drunk. Ah, it's no big deal. But uh, Luis, being a you know former Marine and all this stuff, he's already spooling up. And he's ready to go. I'm like, man, eh, knock it off. So this this uh, local dude that had come and apologized, he was like, why don't you guys come meet us here at this time tomorrow, and uh, we'll show you what it's really like. I'm like, all right, you know. So us walking over there, I'm like, this is either going to be cool or we're going to get the shit kicked out of us by a bunch of locals, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So we get down there, and these guys are ice chest full of beer, barbecue on the beach, and they're fishing, and they, they wave us over, and all kinds of shit, man. It was a good time. They, they were feeding us out there. They're in Guam. They're right there yeah. on the beach in Guam, and, yeah. and Tumon, Tumon Bay. It was like illegal as shit to do what they were doing, but they did it anyway. <laughs> but it was good. It was fun. <laughs> there were the locals. Nobody cared. Nobody right? bothered them, no. Yeah. yeah, Guam. I only spent a few days on Guam, but I went walking around, did all kinds of stuff, and it was, oh, man, I, I really wish I would have had time to go diving out there. The fucking oh, yeah. the water is outstanding. Oh, yeah. That that water, especially in the Tumon Bay there, that kind of fish preserve area, you know, like, it was it was crazy the first time I did it. We went snorkeling, like, the whole length of that bay. Yeah. And that bay, I don't know, that bay is probably, like, two miles maybe long. Yeah. But, uh. Me and a buddy of mine, well, me and Luis went through there, and uh, it looked like Finding Nemo, <laughs> you know, like the whole reef and yeah. all the stuff, all the fish. Yeah. And the funny thing was, is going through there, you realize that I don't give a shit how small something is in that ocean, there is nothing in that water that's afraid of you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, it'll come right up to you. It'll It'll bite the shit out of you it did Luis several times it's funny as hell <laughs> no you were saying he's he's got real bad luck with all kinds of animals right? it's like the whole like he did something to the animal kingdom they sent out a message all around the world to this dude they had a scent on him yeah. anytime he got into the water or anywhere right yeah the water the monkeys in Malaysia fucked him up uh, tried to steal his cell phone <laughs> and it, it, the little monkeys just sitting there all kind of by himself and you know Luis oh cool little monkey and monkey just snatches his phone you hear Luis screaming in this video <laughs> and uh, then after that it was just like birds are flying dropping stuff on him and <laughs> like just random stuff would always happen to him from animals like, just, <laughs> he pissed off the entire animal kingdom like uh, around the world <laughs> or they just had a wanted poster out with his with his face, his face on, on it right and when we were in, in Guam that trigger fish yeah, I mean, that thing just annihilated him that day. And I'm thinking it was 
Jaws had a hold of him. I was like, ah, fuck this, I'm out. I'm sorry. Until <laughs> I look under there, and there's this little fish that looked like a little silver dollar thing, but it had some gnarly ass teeth on it. And he's just like doing figure eights between his legs, and then all of a sudden, just bam, hit him in the leg, and he's Ugh. screaming again. But, but yeah, it was it was funny. Like he he just didn't have any luck. <laughs> so you left uh, overseas, and you came back to Lemoore. Yeah. Uh, 2014, I came back here. Yeah. And, uh, when I came back here, it was a, uh, it was a nightmare. Really? <laughs> it was a nightmare. Like uh, when I when I left, was it the the work conditions? Was it management? What? It was it was all the above, really. Uh-huh. You know, it was coming back. You coming back into a situation where, um, when I left, you know, it was it was an awesome place to be. Yeah. And then when I came back and you walk into the hangar and it was just crickets. There's all these all these jets in there and there's no no work being done, like nothing. And all the guys that I, you know, I was here with before, what the hell's going on? Oh, we don't have any paperwork. We don't have any money. We don't have this. What the fuck do we do all day? We sit nothing. here. We sit here. They used to have uh, placards that they would hang on the aircraft that said frozen. Wasn't even allowed to touch it. Because no money. No money. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what's happening? <laughs> so they would rather spend time or spend money for you to sit there and do nothing instead of, yeah. Yeah. So we just sat there. You know, there was maybe two or three planes that could be worked on, you know. And then, you can't pile that amount of uh, guys on an aircraft. No, nah, can't nah. do that. You know, and then whenever a job would come in, it looked like the only girl at a bar, you know. Like <laughs> every swinging dick in the building's jumping on, like, hey, what's going on over here? You know? <laughs> Can I do something over here? You know, and it was just terrible. It just sucked, you know. But, yeah. And then uh, they had, like, the night check, and night check, a lot of stuff got done. But, you know, how night check works when there's nobody watching we can get a lot of stuff done. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> there's not as many eyes wondering what you're doing. You yeah. Know? So it's, well, we can, we can, we don't have to worry about this little rule or this step. We can just get the job done. Just get know? the do- job done. That's all, that's all anybody there really wants to do anyway. You know? Yeah. Just, but they put all the red tape in place and you got to go through this step, through this step. But by the time you go through all the steps, the eight hours is up and you're out and you're on your way home anyway. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of a shitty deal. It's like, you know, management's looking at it. Well, they're not doing anything. Well, you put all these po- uh, policies in play that they can't do anything. Yeah. So what you do you want? Spend half an hour just looking at your toolbox and making sure it's okay. And then you spend another half an hour that you're all, all your fall protection is in place. And then you spend another half an hour making sure you have the right paperwork and all the right tools. And by the time you start working on the aircraft, it's like two hours into the, your job. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to document all your other shit, and you got to do this, and you got to do that, and it's just like, man. I'm good. Yeah, so when did it start changing? When did, uh, when did you start getting, like, a consistency of work going on? Honestly, it was, it was uh, when BCG got there. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When BCG showed up and, and started kind of realigning everything, was when I, I mean I was already kind of had one foot out the door before they got there. I was ready to I was ready to go. Were you looking at other jobs or I was you know I, I was looking at other jobs, and at the same time looking at just saying fuck it and retiring altogether. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'll figure something else out. Pack up and get the hell out of here. Yeah, you know, uh, I had a job offer in Australia. They 
they had a another site open up over there. I had a couple job offers in Jacksonville. Uh, with the private com private company. No, it was it, it was through uh, FRC and okay. stuff like that. But uh, it was, I didn't know I didn't know they had something out in Australia. Yeah, it was like a deal in Brisbane, I think, and uh, I don't know. They were they were kind of up and you know kind of starting up deal. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know if it ever if it ever came to fruition out there if they got up and going or what. <clears throat> but uh, they had hit me up a couple of times about going out there. Um, Jacksonville, I had a, a guy there. He wanted me to go out. We were in Japan together. He wanted me to go out there and be his uh, deputy IPT. He got moved over there. So, okay. Uh, I was thinking about that. And then it was, you know, of course, my, my kids are here. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> trying to move away from them again yeah. when you're just starting a relationship again. So, yeah. Yeah. And so... Uh, just to explain that Boston Consultant Group, they oh. came in and restructured everything that we did. And so they kind of made it so that the work lead has control of all the maintenance for the one aircraft. And then everybody else is in support of him. Right. Yeah. And so <clears throat> now that <clears throat> the Boston Consultant Group is no longer there. <laughs> <laughs> Our uh, our run-ins are, uh, are are endless, I guess, with uh, uh, the headbutting between me and management. Just just as well, you well know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a very kind of strong-headed person when it comes to our crew. You know, I don't I don't see uh, a job or an aircraft as mine. I don't see it as my project. I don't see the crew as my crew. I see it as our team, our job, our everything. And my job is to support them. You yeah. Know? Just like any any manager, boss, doesn't matter. Their job is to actually support you. You know, is if you're if they're you're the boss. You know, like my grandfather said, "Well, you're the boss on the farm. What's your job?" I'm the boss. <laughs> Got to make this run. He said, "No, you're the boss." Means you work for them. You know, so that's your job. Yeah. They need something, you get it. You know, if... You make their life easier so they can do their job. Yeah, because, I mean, being in that that box, figuring out the problems is it's hard. Yeah. You know, and like they say, oh, you're the, the lead. Well, I'm just the face that hangs at the end of the day when it goes south, you know. That's all it is, really. But I take it to heart when... If you don't like me, I don't really give a shit. You know, my guys need something, I'm going to get it. And if they're feeling frustration because they don't have it and you're not providing it, then I'm going to be only pissed at you. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the stuff out there, you, I mean, you and several other people know, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a, uh, a personal thing between me and them that fuck him. I'm not getting that. Well, that's really not solving any problems. That's not solving anything. <laughs> If you come in, you're, you know, my, my uh, attitude towards you is dictated by your attitude <laughs> towards me. <laughs> so if you're going to have that type of attitude towards me, I'm going to have to say it back to you. I'm just better at talking shit <clears throat> than most there. So, and I do have the right to remain silent. I just don't have the ability to do so. <laughs> I don't either. have the ability to. <laughs> so I, I, I'll let them know. Yeah. You know, and. But that's the way I was raised, you know. I was, I was also raised in the hey, you're a man of your word. You stick to your, you know, you stick to your fucking word. 
And if you're supposed to support me, support this crew, support this job, then do your job. Then just do it. It doesn't matter if you like me or not. I can yeah. care less if you like me. You know, if you're going home and losing sleep because of me, that is hilarious. But if it's not my problem, it's not my problem. I really don't care. Um, but if you're going coming into work and you're saying screw him and his project, well, then that's a different problem. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, all you're trying to do is is make me look bad. I've told him over and over again. I really don't care if you don't like me. No. But we have to get the job done. We have to, <laughs> you know. And that's, to me, is like the most painful part of it is the, uh, and, you know, in a lot of sense, it's not, it's not necessarily 100% always their fault. There's huge hangups all over the place. And it's terrible. You know, it's like, this is a $70 million aircraft and you can't get me a quarter inch nut that I need. <laughs> how, the, how the hell is that possible? You know, oh, well, the this pocket of money or this pot of money and it's like well we've got all these pots of money why don't we just get it yeah you know why don't we just well i'd go to the damn hardware store and get it you know but buying shit from the military instead of we've run into uh situations where people just start making stop making parts yeah and we've had contracts with people where they're like well yeah we're not going to make that part anymore so being the government they have to go through a long, lengthy process to restart another contract yep. to get that part. Exactly. <laughs> and so it just throws everything for a loop. Yeah. Yeah. And you would think in this industry that that is probably the most planned out thing in the whole scheme of things. Like, okay, we're about to lose this contract. If we're going to renew it, let's do it six months in advance or look for another contract. Yeah. Instead of being proactive, they're very reactive. No, yeah, they just... And then they're lost. You know, but then again, you're looking at it like, well, we work for the government, so I guess that's that's good enough answer for them is we just work for the government. So working for the government and just kick on the news and listen to any politician talk and be like, (laughs) yeah, I know what's wrong. (laughs) I know what's wrong now. (laughs) And you have a degree in business. Yes, and so I have two degrees in business one in uh, uh biz- business management and then one in uh business and analyst and you know, analysis analysis uh science or, analysis. or how they say it on the east coast analyses mm-hmm. <laughs> right that's it that just threw me for a loop when everybody i, I hear anybody from the east coast talking that processes or analyses <laughs> I'm like what are you talking about it's analysis ain't it <laughs> i know right like where the, where the hell this there's another E in there. There's another I. What the fuck are you talking about? And so being having that degree, it's kind of in conflict of working for the government, right? Because it's just <laughs> really just like, oh, my God. It is, too, because like, like we were saying with, like, BCG. And when BCG came in, you know, they came in and they hit the ground running. And people were running, you know, for... People were running for cover left and right. It was mainly managers that were running running for cover, really. Yeah. Um, there, there were some artisans that were... Yeah, but those were your kind of shady pieces yeah, of shit that don't yeah. do anything anyway, you know. But for the most part, the guys on the floor were in heaven. You know, we got what we wanted when we said we needed it, and we yeah. had the backing, we have this, we have that. 
and going back to the the business degree thing is is they didn't bring in rocket science. You know, they brought in day one business school shit. Yeah. It's okay, just supply and demand type of deal, but we're doing it in, in a work setting. You know, this guy needs a nut and fucking washer, get it for him. Yeah. You know, and uh and that's that is the big conflict, you know, was well we can't run like a business. Well you can. You just have to maintain it versus the upstarting because they're looking at, well, we spent all this money when BCG was here. Yeah, you did because you had nothing there. Yeah. You got you to spend that money to actually put shit in place, you know. And once it's there, if you maintain it, it's not as expensive. It's not that bad. You know, and now it'd be just as expensive because they've fucked it away again. But when it comes down to it, you know, and I brought it up before, is like if this was our farm, you have to run it like like it's the farm. And people have argued with me, well, it's not like your farm. It's it's, it's different. In, in reality, it's not. Your product is different. But overall, it's a business. It's a business. Yeah. We're working for the government. You're not in it to make money, you know. But overall, all your policies, you know, should be business setting they should be, there should be nobody looking at it as, well, we're not going to get it anyway, or you fail. Yeah. You know, well, we're going we're gonna to keep trying to take this exfoliated piece of metal and see what we can do with it versus get a new piece of metal. You know, like, why would you waste all that time and energy into that instead of, okay, well, let's take that piece of equipment put it back into the supply system so they can rework it and fix it, which creating more work for other people. And then you have a stock in it. You have, yeah. you have a supply of it, you know, and then I, all I got to do is order it. Yeah. You know, but, oh, it just costs too much money. Oh, well, now you're bringing up engineering costs, man hours, you bring, and then it just keeps going on and on and on and on. Yeah. You know, but in a business set, be done with it. Yeah. Time is money. Yeah. <laughs> like your grandfather said. Grandpa said, but like, <laughs> yeah. time's money. Don't waste it. And so living here in the Central Valley, mm-hmm. you came back. <clears throat> what When you came back to live here, like, permanently, did it change for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very much so of uh, I want the hell out of here. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't stand California. Oh yeah, 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 not 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 the area. I love this area, but I it, just California in general. It's here. There's so many freedoms that are you're stripped of. No, yeah, yeah. you know, and and I don't like it. Um, you know, of course, we've got kids and stuff, and I coach football and things like that. And every year around this time, we're gonna watch those mountains burn, and. Kids can't even go outside. We've had to cancel practices. We had to cancel games and things like that because air quality is too bad. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's it's terrible. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, one of those things of, well, you can sit here and watch the commercials of visit California and vacation there. It's go see the Grand Canyon or the Grand Canyon, the Golden Gate Bridge, and you can see L.A. and all this other shit. But in this area, this is probably the most beautiful area in California really green out here beautiful yeah Yeah. and like the drought that's coming through here that's killing a lot of farmers and a lot of family 
heritage. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of a lot of farmers I know that have lost everything because of drought. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of farmers I know that have lost everything because of Newsom's Choo Choo Train project. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's terrible. You know, well we're just going to run this right through your property, and now you're out of business. And the train that they're supposed to be building, and they bought up all this land and to ruin a bunch of farmers and stuff like that, and then now they're like over budget. They're like twenty something years behind yeah. on it now. Yeah, they're really behind. They're overspent. They they got all kinds of stuff going on, and it's really not not providing anything for the area where they wanted to provide. Yeah, like it was supposed to go what from basically like Crescent City to San Diego or something like that originally. And now it's like, oh, we're going to go from Merced to Bakersfield. <laughs> like, where are you got to deliver meth that fast that you need a bullet train <laughs> to go from Merced to Bakersfield, you know? Like, it's, it, it, there's no point in it. There's no point. You know, and, and uh, but it, it ruined a lot of lives around here. Yeah. You know, it ruined a lot of, uh, I mean, you're talking generations of families that have been here farming and... They cut them right in half. You know, yeah. uh, they're, I know a couple of them, the Mattises and stuff like that, that they went right through their dairy. Oh. And it was like, you couldn't have moved that thing, you know, bought the field the, where he grows his corn. You couldn't have bought that, you know, 100 yards down the road. You got to go right through his property. Yeah. And they, oh, well, we'll give you uh, $120 million. Yeah, it sounds great until he's got to rebuild, you know, and after he rebuilds his, Milk barns and corrals and stuff like that. He's probably sitting about two hundred two hundred million dollars. Yeah. So there goes that money, you know. And it's just a lot for everybody to 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 recover from. So you just put them out of business, and then now they're they're kind of wondering out here. I know there's a lot of issues where all that that equipment has been damaged or it's been stolen. It's been, you know, I mean, just flat out destroyed. Uh, and there's there's a lot of people in California that are just going around to either farms or construction sites and just stealing shit. Yeah. Like even the trains, like they just did uh, a big news report fucking for like two weeks straight about all the packages they're stealing out of the trains in yeah. in L.A. Yeah. But here they're going around to construction sites and they're taking all the stuff and they have to provide security and all that stuff and it's just crazy that shit like that is happening. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, and now you're looking at it as, yeah, it's crazy. But when a guy can't get to work because gas is $6 a gallon. <laughs> that too. All right, well, what can I steal from this work site that nobody's going to see that I can <laughs> that I can turn around and make a couple dollars so I can go to work? Yeah. You know, I they, they really... Not just in this area, but you know, all over the country, people's backs are against the wall, you know, and a person is going to strike back any way they can. Yeah, you know, and it's not necessarily violence. They're gonna, hey, I got to survive. I got, I got mouths to feed. I got bills to pay, and they're gonna do what they got to do. It's just like in Afghanistan and in any ghetto that you find, mm -hmm. these people are gonna do whatever they can. Yeah. Oh yeah, without a doubt. You know they, and they wonder why is crime rate so high. Well, people can't afford to buy food. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily a, a situation of a violent crime. It's, well, people are stealing shit because they can turn around and sell it. Yeah. You know, and 
I don't, I don't agree with it, but I, I understand it. Yeah. You know, I understand why people would do it. You know, I'd do it. I'd do it quick if I needed to. If I needed to, uh, yeah. Anything to keep my, my kids fed and just keep them from being out on the streets. Yeah. I had a buddy of mine uh, just a few years ago. You know, job market's bad and everything else, and COVID was going crazy and all that shit. And I see him out there, and he's got a deer strung up in his tree. What are you doing, man? You can't do that. You know, it's it's not deer season. I ain't got any money. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> My kids are going to eat. My kids are going to eat. <laughs> I 100% understand that, you know. Even, even like when you, like, we went to Costco the other day. And I'm really good at uh, knowing how much we put in a cart and trying to gauge it, whatever, right? So what would have cost us maybe $275 of food to keep everything going cost us $475. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. You know, and they, what is it, those commercials you see now that tell everybody, eat healthy? Uh. But how expensive it is to, is it to eat healthy versus yeah. I can go to Taco Bell and buy a pack of tacos for, you know, 12 bucks or whatever. Yeah. But if I'm sitting here feeding my family, I'm spending $100 a day. Yeah. You know, so what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, and like you said, Costco and all them, you know, they're great when you're buying stuff in bulk. But what what do people do when they can't pay for the gas to get there? Uh, that you know, too. It's, it's, it's really hard to... To gauge, like you said, you can always kind of gauge what's in your cart, but you can't tell anymore. No, you can't tell anymore. what is anything is anymore. No, you know, and and people look at certain things. Well, this is twenty uh, percent off. I'm saving four dollars. No, well, you're not. No, no, you're not. <laughs> you it's know, twenty percent off of the inflated price. Exactly, exactly. You know, so uh, I'm not in any kind of way of you know, a, a politician or anybody that can understand on on uh, where it went batshit crazy. But somebody needs to figure it out. I know that. But, you know, everybody keeps talking about that. Everybody says, well, I'm not a politician. I don't know how to solve these problems. But politicians have put us into this situation. True, they have. And, and one of the big problems that, you know, that... Being part of, like, the farming and dairy industry around here that I see is, um, I think it was somewhere around, I want to say it was somewhere around the mid, maybe, part of uh, Obama's second term. Uh, the government actually took over uh, the farming industry in general. They started subsidizing, right? Right. And yeah. what it was, was mainly what they did was they started controlling production. Yeah. Right. It's not, they, they're not controlling like industrial farmers, like this is industrial farmers around here, but the mom and pop farmers, you know, like us and things like that, they're not necessarily controlling them. They're controlling other stuff. So it's, it's what they, what you grow, how they, what they're going to do with it. The market. Um, yeah. It wasn't necessarily, <clears throat> it wasn't necessarily Obama. You know, it was the government in general. Yeah. It was, they took control of it. And, uh, like the dairymen here. So around here you have like dairymen's producers, land of lakes, things like that. Newtsons and everything that buy the milk from the dairymen. Yeah. Right. Now that company is going to turn around and make, you know, different percentages of milk, whole milk. They're going to make butter, cheese, Sour cream, ice cream, whatever, all this, you know, whatever. 
But the problem is, is now the government controls it. So the government took it and told them, those companies, well, you're only allotted to buy so much of it. So I have friends that are dairymen that are dumping six to 10,000 gallons of milk a day because those companies can no longer buy it. So that means there's a huge waste on that end. And then versus on the other end, they can keep prices of things higher. Oh, yeah. You know, so, and I believe when that happened, it was the first time in the history of our country the government ever had control of the farming industry. So around that time is when you've seen milk go from basically a dollar something a gallon to three or four dollars a gallon. Oh. You know, and people look at it, oh, it's just a couple bucks, but when you look at it on the long run, how many millions of people are buying those gallons of milk a day, you know? Yeah. And how many millions of dollars go into that? So, like, I see what happens on this end, you know, on our end, as far as a farming, um, the packing houses, we sell to packing houses. So a packing house looks at fruit. Well, that, that fruit's too big. It won't fit in our crate because Americans are spoiled and they want to have pretty things. You know, it's got a little sunburn on it. Oh, it rubbed up against a tree. It's got a scar on it. They'll trash it. So if you look out the back of some of these packing houses, there's actually a conveyor belt, and it'll make you sick to watch because you'll see perfectly good fruit and, and vegetables rolling out this conveyor into a dumpster in the back. Ugh. You know, like, just take that and send it to homeless shelters or send it to schools for kids, you yeah. know, whatever. Whatever the case is, you know, but, like, literally, you go in there, oh, that fruit's too big to fit in our, in our packing crates, you know, so we, we're going to throw it away. And it just, it, it makes you sick to watch it. You know? <laughs> so what we did on the farm was they have, um, we went and started going through a place called Ozark out of, out of uh, Exeter. Okay. And they're a mom and pop packing house. So the farmers only get paid on what you pack out, not what you bring in. Yeah. So they're a mom and pop place, not a Sun Pacific or anything like that, Valley Suite that are and you know commercial so they schedule you this is your time this is your thing today you own our plant and then you go from packing out like 60 percent of your fruit to packing out 80 you know 85 to 90 percent it's a huge change you know so what they do with it on their end you know that's i don't know i don't know where they're sending it i don't know who it goes to at that point but that's their part of that business you know Mine is just to get it to them. They provide a lot of logistics. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But they're also not taking on <clears throat> thousands and thousands of acres like these big commercial companies are. You yeah. Know, they're, they're working with local farmers. Yeah. You know, just like you see the, was it the Rosa Brothers now? Mm. Rosa Brothers were the, doing the milk, yeah. doing milk deliveries, yeah. kind of bringing back something from the 50s, you know. So they're, uh, they're kind of doing the same thing. They're bringing back what we used to do 60 years ago, 70 years ago, and they're bringing it back to today. And I think they are keeping it more local, you know, selling it to more of the local markets and, you know, going to the uh, farmer's markets, selling stuff off and things like that too. So uh, that's a big deal in this area, you know. But around here, you know, the farmers and the dairymen know they're getting screwed. It's going to be a shitty day whenever they decide to hell with it. And, and there's a lot of them around here that said they're just going to start selling it by themselves. They're not going to sell it commercially anymore. So then the price of everything is going to go even higher. 
because these places aren't getting their quotas of whatever they need a day and, and can't meet their supply and demand and pri- you know, price is going to go up. Yeah. So it's, it's a scary thought um, to think about. You know, we see it now with food prices, beef, uh, pork is going to go up has been going up because the regulations they put on pork farmers and things like that. And one of the things I read that uh, a little while back talking about might, we might not have bacon in California. They you know? keep talking about that. Like, <laughs> you know how many people would lose their shit? Because <laughs> turkey bacon ain't bacon. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> it's horrible. Bacon is meat candy, and it goes with everything. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, you know... You know, you try to, okay, so the government, or we're going to lose bacon, so I'm going to go out, and I know we have a big problem here in California with pigs and stuff, so I'm going to go out, and I'm going to go try to find my own pig so I can make my own bacon, this and that, and I can have food for my family, but when you try to get a rifle from any one of these (laughs) places, man, you got to line out the door for people trying to buy rifles, or if you're trying to do bow hunting, man... I, you know, there's not enough people trying to supply that stuff, and it's just it's horrible. And it's like if you if you didn't have it before, good luck trying to get it now. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> like I'm all for like the background checks and things like that. Yeah. Like, when you when you do your initial stuff. Yeah. You know, like, but if I'm a registered gun owner, and I already have my stuff on, you know, your database for the Department of Justice. Why are you going to look into me again every time you buy one round? Yeah. Yeah. I'm already in your system. <laughs> like, I've done the background. I'm not going to go buy a new gun if somebody pisses me off and I want to off the guy. <laughs> I've got plenty here at the house. So why would I go out of my way to go buy something new, you know, and, and have to go through that whole process, you yeah. know? And, you know, that's like like I was bringing up earlier about just getting out of here, people being stripped of freedoms, you know, is... is uh, if people don't want to own guns, that's on them. That's that's fine. Yeah. That is your right. But it is it's my right to own them also. Yeah. You know, I I can own them. I do like them. I own them. I will use them if need be. Um. But I like to hunt. You know, and all people say guns are guns are evil. Well, I've got one that's sitting on the shelf in the front room in here that I've cleaned and. It's been sitting there for a couple days and hasn't hurt anybody. Nobody. <laughs> it hasn't jumped out of its case and ran Your across. Your kids the... don't look at the weapons and they don't. No. Yeah, it's. You've taught your kids safety. Hmm? You've taught your kids how to bow hunt. You've taught your kids how to how to do all this stuff. Hmm? And your gun's just laying around and nobody's gonna get hurt. No. Because it doesn't just jump out and hurt somebody <laughs> not when it that. wants to. <laughs> exactly. But that, that is, you know, when you look at some ex- anti-gun extremists, that's what they think. You know, they start thinking about that like guns are evil. No, people are evil. Yeah, people are evil. It's not the, not, it's a tool. A, a firearm is a tool. You know, and I use it. And it provides for my family. Just like opening up a toolbox and grabbing a wrench out of it. That provides for my family, too. Yeah. You know, I can take a rifle out of my 
safe and go up to these mountains and my family can eat good for a month yeah. off of what I bring back. You know, and what, the deer tag cost me 25 bucks? <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's, that's kind of the bad part, I think, is a lot of people are losing who we are, really. You yeah. know, in, in general, as far as today, say the, the, the power grid blows the fuck up. Like it did in Texas. Right. And there is no supermarkets. Where are you going to get food? People don't know how to do it anymore. No. You know, you got to learn, you know, people got to learn that food is all around you. <laughs> you go up to those mountains and you don't know how to skin and clean a deer. It's going to be a long life, <laughs> especially if something like that does happen, you know. And in, right now, too, people uh, in this, I don't know about this area, but people are starting to realize, too, and you look at stuff going on in Ukraine and things like that. What about those people? Those power power grids are shut down. We're... Where are they getting food? You know? And you hear all those uh, stories about looting. Mm-hmm. Even people out there, they're looting for a reason. That's because they need things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that shoe on the other foot here, people lose their minds. Oh, yeah. You know, those people there, that, that the Ukraine in general is a huge agricultural country. Yeah. They massive, provide a lot. Massive agricultural country. So... Think of the impact of that now, too. You know, people are talking about, well, Russia and oil and things like that. But now you got another country a lot like, you know, the United States in this area being known as like the breadbasket of of America. Yeah. Well, now it's kind of the breadbasket of the world. Well, you basically shut one down in Ukraine. (laughs) So what the hell is going to happen next? You know, when you go to the store and, and produce or whatever that comes out of Ukraine, it's it's going to no skyrocket because now you only have one supplier of it. You know you can't grow a whole lot of things uh, uh, that are grown here and there. You can't can't grow them all over the world. That's what a lot of things people don't understand. You know, like uh, one of the one of the crazy things that I was reading about the other day is the DNA of avocados. They are breaking down the DNA of avocados to to be able to modify the tree. So that we can grow them more industrialized, industrial growing here, because in Mexico is the perfect climate, temperature, everything. Yeah. But there's so many different types. But well, Mexico's got the perfect climate for the the shit that everybody loves, right? Yeah. Well, now they're okay. We we are finally being able to break down the the DNA traits of an avocado tree, so now we can start growing them here, like the plum trees and things like that. That's that's what's crazy to me. You know? <laughs> When you shut down a place that has got the climate and, you know, everything needed for a specific uh, crop to grow, where are we going to grow that crop again? Yeah. You know, this area is specialized in a lot of different types of crops. And I don't know what would happen to the market if they're shut down now. Where do we what do we what do we do here to counter counteract that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not sure of all the crops that come out of that area, but I, I guarantee you it's it's pretty similar to this area here. They they said something crazy in the news like like seventy to seventy five percent of the world's agriculture comes out of Ukraine or yeah. some, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I know here uh 
majority of all this stuff that comes out here doesn't stay here. No, it goes to uh, like China. Yeah, I know a lot of it goes to uh, the, to Asia in general. Uh, I know Japan picks up a lot of, of uh, you know the crops coming out of out of the United States. That actually, my buddy, that company that I worked for, they uh, they were going to uh, Japan to help build a dairy there. Oh, were they? Yeah. No. But you figured in Japan, you got almost the population of America and a place the size of California. <laughs> so people are just on top of each other, and it's hard to. It's very mountainous there too, so it's kind of hard to. Hey, let's level this whole thing. And the way the Japanese people believe is with their the the uh, environment <laughs> they don't touch it no no they don't no they yeah. don't mess with it that and they treat their beef and stuff different like oh yeah <laughs> they they kind of massage their cows they do yeah. kinds like of stuff Kobe and Wagyu beef and yeah. stuff you know feed them beer give them massages they keep them <laughs> relaxed all the time yeah not a fan of that like the the, the actual beef itself it's I never really cared for it, it no it's just, <laughs> Different tasting? I've never tasted it. It's so. like the texture's off oh, to okay. me, you know? <clears throat> it's not, it's not, I mean, it's just not what we're used to. No. And so up here in the mountains that we have, where, what do you harvest from up there? What kind of beef or meat? Oh, anything up there, really. Uh, turkey, uh, deer, bear, uh, pig, just pig up there. Uh, up in the mountains? More of the foothill yeah, area. Yeah, right? There are a lot of pigs, and the, they, they stay more towards the lower elevation stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I like going over these areas over there, though, because by three rivers, things like that, you know, a lot of citrus fields. So you are basically got uh, your pigs over there that are feeding on low-hanging fruit. So they're kind of marinating themselves for me when I get up there and pick them <laughs> off. You know, it's, it's already it's already pre-marinated for me. You know? <laughs> and you can tell, like, uh, I was watching a show one day of uh, Steve Ranella, right? And he was talking about these bears that he was going to harvest, but these bears had that the one bear that he did get was uh, had eaten a lot of berries. Oh yeah, and so you can taste like the berries in the meat. Yeah, you can taste it. You can you can definitely tell like, well, even looking at them whenever you get up there, you can tell like this bear has been by campsites feeding on trash and things like that. Just just on the way their body structure is. Yeah, you know. But when you see bear that are kind of higher elevation, but they're they're fuller, and you can see that they're they're stockier. They're you know like that that one's gonna be good. You know, but. When you when you get like when you get into breaking them down, it's kind of it's kind of getting scarce now too. You know, a lot of the fires have pushed a lot of them out. And yeah, stuff like that. So hunting up there, especially for bear, you know, um, is is gotten it's gotten a little lean. Mm. You know, deer are still coming in and out of there, but uh, but bear, you know, and that's that was another thing we we're uh, talking about people not knowing, you know. Uh, we used to take uh, bear fat and you cut it thin, just the fat because there's a lot of fat on it, and you boil it. Like yeah. You don't. Uh, you put it in a pan and you you basically cook it and it'll liquefy. Yeah. And you can use that, like for waterproofing. We'd put put it on like our boots. Really? Yeah. It'll seal. It'll seal your boots and things like that. So you can use bear fat to to waterproof anything. And I know they talked about using bear fat as just regular oil. Yeah. Yeah. Cooking oil. Yeah. It's greasy. You know, I mean, you, 
it all depends on what you're what you're doing. But see, bear is one of them things you got to be careful too because bear have salmonella. Oh, yeah. So that's that's another reason people don't like that bear. and trichinosis. Trichinosis is big, yeah, especially yeah. in bear and wild pig. I didn't know wild pair or wild pig uh, ate other animals. Well, it's something in their gene, I think. Their gene, in in the genes of pig, you oh, get okay. trichinosis. Like if you get uh, uh, pigs will eat anything. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll eat <laughs> but anything. But I think it's mainly a genetic trait when it comes to a wild pig. Uh-huh. That's why whenever we have uh, like uh, pork that we buy in the store and stuff like that, you can see people now cooking pork more rare. Because those are farm raised pig, and they've kind of gotten that out of their, out of their, you know, genetics. They yeah. bred that yeah. trigonosis and things out of their, out of their, uh, out of their, you know, bloodlines and yeah. things like that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty awesome. Well, sir, it's been a good conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People are listening to this like, what? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Is there anything you want to say before uh, we head out of here? I think we need another beer. Yeah, I think we, yeah. <laughs> we're no, good. No, uh, I don't know. You know, just people be nicer to each other. I think shit. they definitely need to be nicer to each other. But uh, I think I think people just need to open their eyes and realize the world around them. Yeah, you know, I I think once people get that, then everybody will start to to realize. You know, this whole deal of races. You know, this race and that race and. Another deal where, um, well, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't, being that you're Mexican and I'm not, and he's black and he's white, and uh, seeing those things, you know, on the news, we we just we we can't can't in general just listen to it. No, no. I think what if people. I think I think in general they they're trying to keep people divided. If everybody seen past that and got together, they'd realize what the hell's really going on. Yeah. So if I had to end with anything, I'd I'd, I'd just people in general need to get more together so we can figure out what the hell's going on with this crazy ass world. <laughs> because when we actually get together, we start solving problems oh, exactly. instead of being divided. Yeah. Yeah, the, the smoke and mirrors of you guys focus on each other and not what's going on behind the curtain, like the Wizard of Oz type of shit, you know. So yeah, if we all can just figure it the fuck out, and who can give you know give a shit about any goddamn race or any <laughs> other crap, and figure out how are we gonna better this whole thing for our future generations, we'd be in a whole better, better, better world. That's for damn sure. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, sir. All right, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Wait, 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 wait. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Love you. Love you too, brother. Well, that's it for now. I want to be clear on something. No one person grows up the same. Everyone has their own opinion and how they come up with it. That's why I started this, so that I can understand you and your guide to your path. If we all have different strengths, then maybe... Just maybe we can learn from each other.